listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. Welcome to First Church's Wednesday night Bible study. We're working our way through a series uh, entitled How to Talk to People About God. And this is the third lesson in that series. And my title for this lesson was, is, as you know, we express a human emotion and then we take it as a uh, kind of a context, a frame around a picture and talk about how to talk to people about God. So I have chosen an emotion, uh, emotional expression, I should say, that I'm sure you've heard people in your world say some version of this. And here it is. I have ruined everything. Imagine yourself in a situation, somebody that's on, you know, in your world of influence, and in a moment of conversation, a moment of connecting, they say some version of, I have ruined everything. All right, so as believers, we need to know how to talk about God uh, to, a, to people in a manner they will receive. Uh, we are here for a purpose and a mission. You are. Your purpose is not for you to be saved. Um, your purpose is not even for your family to be saved. That's part of it, yes. Um, but God has placed you as an ambassador within your world. Uh, you might wish that someone more qualified than you was placed there, but God has placed you there. And he has given you a toolkit, a spiritual toolkit that you just have to, as it were, add water. You know, these, these, these packages of, of dehydrated food and should just add water. Well, in our case, all we have to add is faith. Uh, everything we need is invested in the church. Every gift, every strength, every power, every miraculous authority, every spiritual authority, it's invested in the church. We add faith. Um, it helps if we add faith with wisdom in connecting with the world in which we are placed. We know scripturally, that if we would win souls, we would be wise. But I want to establish this truth. I want you to uh, receive it. You are in your place right now with spiritual purpose. It's not accident. Um, heaven is not barely surviving against the onslaught of hell. No, this is an era, an age of grace. And God has sent you like the woman at the, at the well running into her world saying, come see a man who told me all things I ever did is not this uh, is this the Christ? Um, we need to be the right kind of Christian. Um, chances are the people you love in your world have met plenty of the wrong kind of Christian. What do I mean by that? I'm using that as a phrase to discuss or to talk about uh, meeting someone who after you meet them, you are less likely to become a Christian. That's the wrong kind of Christian. It's not my job to say whether that person is saved or lost. Um, I know leaders who teach that style as proof that they have the truth. I know churches that embrace that style um, so strongly that to me, it, it feels toxic for unbelievers. Um, it's very satisfying for believers. You know, they, they feel safer than they've ever felt, but um, they end up with a kind of a, a culture where they do best with move-ins of people who are already saved or they have a lot of church exposure. Um, so I'm not trying to say those people are lost because they do that, their style. Um, that's, that's between them and their master. They, they have a master. They don't need me to opine on what I think. It's just, it wouldn't be right for me. Uh, and so I'm not saying they're lost. I'm not saying those people who are harsh on social media are lost. 
I just, uh, that's fine for them. I'll let them stand in their own place. Um, however, I want to be the kind of Christian, and I want our church to have this, this feeling, this culture about it, that after an unbeliever, or worse, after a sinner, after someone who's blatant about their sin, they meet us, they are more likely to consider the beauty of the Lord than they were before. They are more likely to consider their need of redemption than they were before, do you see? So we want to think and learn and grow in our ability to talk to people about God. Um, this is something if we apply ourselves to and we make it spiritual, uh, God will aid us. He will give us wisdom. Uh, he will give us language because ultimately your connection to everyone else's language. Uh, that is how we, we influence one, uh, one another. So if you looked at some research on this subject, you would first of all quickly realize that uh, most of America identifies as Christian. Um, I think it's somewhere between 60 and 70 percent uh, identifies as, as Christian. However, the vast majority of Americans are also, despite claiming they're Christian, <clears throat> they're uncomfortable talking about faith. Um, it's not just kind of fringe Christians or unchurched believers. Um, I'll give you some more. Um, only, uh, only a few percent of Christians are really comfortable talking about their faith uh, in in an in open manner uh, or in a public a public uh, setting. Six out of ten Christians say they only they 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 only have spiritual conversations on rare occasions. Six out of sixty percent of profess, professing Christians admit they they rarely have a spiritual conversation. Thirty percent of them said maybe once or twice a year. <laughs> uh, another thirty percent said more than that, maybe several times in a a year, <clears throat> only 7% of Americans admit to talking about spiritual matters on a regular basis. Um, here's a shocker. Only 13% of church-going Christians, not non-church Christians, but these are regular church-attending Christians, said they had a spiritual conversation at least or around once a week. That means... Uh, what, 87% of us regular church goers um, are not having, we're not even having spiritual conversations once a week. Um, we can do better. Now, I'm not unsympathetic to your caution. Uh, the wrong kind of Christians have done so much damage uh, within the church world and the, how the world perceives us um, that it's, it can be awkward and dangerous to talk about faith in in a, in a, in a context um, that's not churchy. Um, I'm not unsympathetic, but I want to challenge you. You're placed in your world. I'm placed in our world with a reason and with a purpose. We have to get better at talking to people uh, about the Lord. I, I want you to put in your regular prayer a request that God would make you um, much stronger and much wiser and much more comfortable uh, talking about faith subjects. I'm going to give you a trick. Uh, this has stood me very well, and I promise you, it will stand you very well. Um, you can talk about faith with other people a lot more than you do as long as you learn to use non-churchy language. You can talk, you would be astonished how easy it is to talk about faith, talk about 
uh, uh, eternity, even to talk about God, as long as you don't use churchy language that triggers them to think of all the bad experiences they've had with people who meant well and people who were our brothers and sisters. They're believers. Let's not make enemies out of them. That doesn't help anybody. Um, but they have built up a resistance to other people telling them how they should live their life in a manner where they lose their vote. And if they don't surrender their vote, then they're going to bust hell wide open. This is not, this is really not how we effectively talk to people about God. And I started this series telling you the story of Paul and his great example of talking to unbelievers, um, not, you know, in his case, actual heathen, believed in other gods in a manner that resonates with them and acknowledges where they are, not where Paul wishes they were. And we talked about that. You can go back two um, weeks and watch uh, part one, and we'll spend, we go, we go pretty deep into that. Um, so this statement that I've made, uh, I've ruined everything. This is the kind of statement that a person at a certain stage of their life might say. A certain moment of their journey, they might say. Um, we want to kind of unpack it and think about it so we're not completely at a loss when we come across people who are at that, at that moment. Does the Bible have anything to say to people who feel like they have ruined everything. I would say absolutely. I would say from Genesis to Revelations, the Bible has a lot to say about uh, to the person who feels like they've made a mess of their life. In fact, I would suggest that God does his best work in the middle of the mess you've made of, of your life. Uh, let me start with some scriptures that really, these aren't hard to find. There's so many in the Bible that speak to this moment of a person's life. This is from Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verse number 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. To the person who feels like they have just destroyed everything, here is scripture saying, look, God's mercy is greater than your ability to destroy. God's, God's faithfulness and his mercy can be new in your life right now in this moment. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter number 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is so wonderful. Now, you can use the scripture one way. Well, it makes that person feel like, oh, I've made a mess of things. Let me, let me tell you how to use this scripture um, in a way that makes the sinner feel like they're defeated before they even start. Emphasize this passage. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Emphasize that. Don't take care to the context of the scripture. Just emphasize that. If you just emphasize that, here's this person thinking, I, I've, I've made a mess of my life, and you're going to tell me I shouldn't have done that? You're going to tell me that if I'm not holy, then I... Here's a person. Uh, <laughs> I hope you see what I'm doing here. 
here's a person, their overwhelming emotion is, I've ruined everything. And you respond to them, well, you should have lived holy and pleasing. Well, yeah. <laughs> we also should have <laughs> not had that third donut at Krispy Kreme last night. The sinner's not the only one who should have done better. You should have done better. I, <laughs> you see, I should have done better. If you want to emphasize that just to make people who've been living pretty good feel better, you've missed the context of the, of the passage. That's not what Paul's doing here. Watch this. <laughs> Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, <laughs> in view of God's mercy, total different hope story, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that he's forgiven you of the mess you've made, in view of the fact that he's washed you, you should try again and try to do better. You should try to live in a manner where you care about things that are above. You should let the order of your life be structured on eternal things, not the things of this world. You should live holy and pleasing to God, do you see? So in view of God's mercy, um, the Bible has so much to say. Yes, we, we should do this and we shouldn't do that. And yes, you're better when here and, and worse there. And you get the idea. But all of these things are in view of the mercy of the Lord. And so to the person who feels like they've ruined everything, yes, there's a better way to live. There's so much scripture. Um, let me read Ephesians um, chapter number two, verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once, you who once were far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Do you see? Uh, here's a person. Their emotion is, I've ruined everything. Why would God love me? Why would, why, why, why would anyone give me the time of day? And our message is the good news. Not, not, not just, you know, doctrinal debate. There, there's a place for that. But good news, and that is this. You've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter. All that mess that's killing you, at this moment, the first step is to recognize that Christ has made uh, a covering, so to speak. God, you are able to be brought near by the blood of Jesus. Um, Isaiah 57 and 13, but whoever, <clears throat> whoever takes refuge in me will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Okay, so I'm just <clears throat> grabbing some scriptures to share with you because uh, there's so much. There truly is so much. Um, <clears throat> I want to remind you of the four L's. Now, we got these from Paul uh, in his, uh, in, he was invited to speak uh, to unbelievers in the place of their uh, reflection, uh, in the place of their, where they talked about philosophical things, eternal things. Uh, that's where he was invited to come. Um, he did not intrude. He was invited. He had already built relationships. We talked about all this in lesson number one. If you, if you missed that, please go back because that was the introduction of the four L's that are demonstrated by the Apostle Paul. Um, and the first one of them, you'll probably remember, is listen. Listen. Give up your need to give them life advice before they ask for it. Listen. Consider. Reflect. Sympathize. Empathize. After that, you might get an invitation to speak in the place of trust. You might get an invitation if you've listened, if you've shown you that you're not just a, 
you know, a drum beating in the background, <laughs> um, you, you, you get an, uh, you, you're invited to speak in a place of trust. Uh, so the first thing we do is we listen. Uh, we don't, you know, try to solve their problems. God help us. <laughs> um, we, we listen. We show them we care. Uh, we show them we're not rushing away. We have time. Uh, we give up our need to be right about everything. The second thing we do is uh, Paul showed us how he used their language. He referred to philosophers they uh, approved of. He quoted uh, poets they admired. Um, he doesn't focus upon doctrine when they don't even care about what he believes. Um, he uses their language. Um, he talks in their context. Um, he connects. Uh, and the third thing is uh, look for what God is doing. The Apostle Paul says to them there, uh, God is not far from any of you, but in him we live and move and have our being. He's not far. And then he quotes their heathen philosophers to nail down something he believes spiritually because he's been in the presence of God and because he is anointed of God. Um, but you see how he is focusing on connection He's focusing on connection at the risk of being criticized by people who says about him, oh, your doctrine's not, you, 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 you didn't even mention Jesus. That, that's right. Paul never mentioned Jesus. He just mentioned a man. Um, uh, he doesn't quote a single Old Testament place. They don't know the Old Testament. It means nothing to them. He quotes their poets. Um, and so you see how uh, he's listened. He has used their language and he has begun to look where God is working in their life. God's not far from, from you. Um, you do that. I do that when we're talking to people. Um, we don't always tell them uh, how we see God's working, God working in their life. But sometimes it helps us, even when we see how God is working in, in their trouble. We don't want to tell them that God's done this to you because, I mean, don't, we should be careful speaking for the Lord. Um, how, how, how would we know God is in heaven and we are on earth? Therefore, we should let our words be fairly few. Um, so uh, that's the third thing. And then the final thing is to leave them with a promise. Uh, Paul tells the story at the end of Christ's death and resurrection. Um, it's almost though it's the hook. Leave them wanting more. Um, leave them with a, with a promise. If you're a person of faith, um, that should be easy for you because you can start like Paul did. You know, God's not far from you here. You can start with, I believe God can bring good out of, out of terrible things. And the reason why I believe that is not because I just heard a great message on it. <laughs> That's church language. I believe it because I've, I've seen it in my life. Some of the most painful things in my life, God has brought good out of. Uh, and so the four L's, listen, use their language, look for how God is working, leave them with a promise. Um, that serves as a great structure for talking to unbelievers, talking to unchurched people, uh, in a manner where we can talk about God without coming across weird, uh, without in some way making them th less likely to become a believer. Um, these, are, these are foundation stones that we are going to continually, continually uh, reach back to and connect with uh, because they are the biblical way shown to us in the book of Acts. Uh, so let's talk specifically about this moment where a person says some version of this. I have ruined everything. Now, last week we talked about another human emotion, and what the person said was, I'm stuck and I hate it. And one thing I told you is they probably weren't ready uh, for a big life change because life change usually comes out of brokenness. Uh, it does not usually come out of anger. The exception I said last week is that 
Um, if a person's angry with themselves, they might be closer than if than if they are simply uh, angry. Uh, this week we're t- we're not talking about I'm stuck and I hate it. This week we're talking about I've ruined everything. Here's the interesting point that I would want you. Uh, as a believer, to see. The person saying this is much closer to God, in my experience, than the person who is just angry about a circumstance in their life. Um, I truly believe this kind of a confession, I've ruined everything. A person is very close to spiritual surrender because this statement has regret, sadness, uh, almost a mourning within it. And the reason why I think they're closer to God is because they have moved to toward brokenness in this in the spell in the, the the spectrum of human emotion. They are closer to uh, to brokenness. I believe a person who is no longer angry but mourning uh, or broken might be a better way to say it is much closer in their life to an experience with God to a God moment than the person who is simply angry. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, emotions can give you insight to where people are uh, in, their, in their progression toward faith. Uh, the second thing is the reason why this person, I believe, is closer to a God moment than the person we talked about last week um, is, is this. They're no longer looking outside. They are looking inside. Um, angry people are still looking outside. I'm stuck and I hate it. That's last week's. You can imagine following right on the heels of that is someone blaming their boss, blaming their wife, blaming their their parents. Uh, this is why I'm stuck. I never had, you know, it's, they're still looking outward. The person who is in a different emotional state that we're talking about today is I ruined everything. They are no longer looking out. They're saying, I did it. I made decisions. I made dis- choices. I was weak when I should have been strong. Uh, I was impatient when I should have been long-suffering. Uh, this person is much closer to a God moment in my pastoral experience uh, than someone who is still looking outside uh, in anger uh, and, and in blame. Let me very quickly talk to any of you who are living through this moment. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're living through a moment where you feel like you've ruined everything. Um, I don't want to leave anyone with the idea that it's just unbelievers who have this emotion. Uh, I know many believers who have burned their own house down, so to speak. Um, most commonly, uh, it is a statement of regret because of a decision they have made. And a lot of times, it is regret for a decision they made that hurt someone else. Uh, like, for example, in a marriage, uh, in a, a family situation, a parent, a child, a, a sibling situation, um, where they acted out, they committed folly and sin, and now they're in the consequences of it. They're no longer angry. They're mature enough to see decisions they made. They're no longer defending themselves. Just really quickly, if you're still in the self-defense mode, why you did it or it's your fault, um, you're not ready. Um, I'll probably just listen. <laughs> you're not ready. I'm sorry. You have to get to the point where you have laid down your list of who's done you wrong. Um, you 
in a therapy situation, you might try to explain uh, for the point, for the, for the purpose of better understanding yourself and better explaining yourself. But if at the end of that therapy, um, your self-defense is so strong where you're vindicated and they have to forgive you, you, you misunderstood the value of what you were trying uh, to accomplish with that therapy or counseling. You have to own your actions because it doesn't matter if you uh, own them, they own you. Do you see? Um, since they own you, you might as well own them because that moves the power back into your hand and not into the hands of the consequences. Um, so let me stay on, stay on track here. Um, if you're in this situation and you feel like you've ruined everything, um, I want to speak to you and I want to tell you that through God, with spiritual help and guidance, you can start rebuilding. I don't know all the paths you're going to have to walk, but I promise you, God loves you. He is your heavenly father and his father's heart is not done with you. He loves you and he will walk with you. There will be consequences. There always is. But God is willing to do the best work in your life of forgiving you. I don't know if your boss will forgive you. I doubt that the district attorney will forgive you. Um, I'm not sure if your wife will forgive you. I'm not sure if your kids will forgive you. But God will forgive you. And you could start right there. You could stop with the list of why and how and whose fault it is. And you could own your actions before they own you. <laughs> and you could say, God, I'm ready to try your way. And you could humble yourself. You could. Um, it's your decision. It's not mine. But you could do it. And I promise you, in my experience, in the times of my life when I needed to do that, the moment I did it, it was like I just took a breath. I just exhaled. It's like I was straining, 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 and, I, and all of a sudden I realized I had tried my way. I'm going to try God's way. And I just, ah. And so circumstances are real. Consequences are real. I don't know what the result of your actions will all be, but I promise you, if you will just give God a chance to work, um, you might be surprised, but you can't get mad at God if the cleanup doesn't go the way you want it to. That's falling right back into the same problem where it's somebody else's fault. So having said that, I want to say to anyone facing a situation like that where you feel like you've ruined everything, you didn't ruin it in a day, you're not going to fix it in a day. You ruined it over time. <laughs> you let some things go that you shouldn't have let go. Now, you can probably improve it over time. You probably can fix it over time, probably. But God will forgive you because his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. People, you may have to work through that. But the moment you open your heart to God, it will be almost as though things start looking up. Things start getting getting better. Now, talking to a person in your life, um, you may not have the op option of using that church language that I did. I was able to use a little bit of church language. I tried to use not a lot of it, but um, you probably won't be able to be as comfortable with it as I am because... I'm talking to people who are watching a Bible study. They're already believers. Um, but you, in prayer and taking care, you can find the right language that leads people, uh, or 
Let me say that differently. Leading people can be hard. <laughs> and they tend to have their own opinions about things. It's astonishing. What you can do, however, um, is, is you can incline them. Your words can raise their probability of turning toward God. You remember two weeks ago, I preached a message called The King of Kings, The King of Cool and The King of Kings, and I told the story of the conversion of Steve McQueen, the famous movie star, and how he met the right kind of Christian, um, and that that relationship inclined him to, it made him more likely to become a believer, and one day he did. That's what we do. Our testimony, our care, our patience inclines people, raises the probability that they would become a believer. So let's stop there. I want you to be, be reminded of the four L's. Listen to them. Use their language. What do they care about? What touches them? Thirdly, uh, look for what God is doing. Sometimes you point it out. Sometimes you use it to reassure yourself. And finally, leave them with a promise. So that's enough for tonight. Lord Jesus, I pray you would give us your wisdom, your anointing, and your power. We want to make a difference in our world. And you voted on us. You nominated us to, to, to be placed where we are. You you intentionally placed us because we can make a difference through the power you have invested in us. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.